So as I'm offering uh, some guidance on how we can use this space, there's certain important things to cultivate so necessary to definitely cut out the space otherwise it just fills up in fact this is rather like trying to cut a space out through in water it's things are constantly flooding in through the sense doors and particularly of course through the mind door and much of this is either irrelevant or unhelpful some of it unwholesome causing afflictions so definitely one can't just glide and uh, using the mind to skillfully begin to set up a process whereby uh, this seeming flow of experience There can be a steering to something deeper, something um, even not of this world. Mm. But bear in mind, you know, the reason why the Buddha uh, went forth in the first place, uh, aging, sickness, death, seeing this all around the inevitability of it, helplessness of it. So is there any way out of this? This is not a small thing. And so I'm spending many years of cultivation just to sense is there anything else apart from just this? Or do we just put different boats on the stream, do we just play around for a while or make the best we can out? This is something more than this and um, by his own understanding he sensed that there is and there is for all of us. But so we have to, uh, in fact it's quite, it's, and the beauty of it is actually something that is not created by any thought aspiration, intention, philosophy, anything. Mm. So that's what makes it last through time and culture. Because it just flows. There's something beyond all that. That's what's made it so ever relevant, ever pertinent. If you're a human being with a mind, this is possible. So, cultivation. Um, often people use the word meditation. Meditation can mean many things. Cultivation, many, also several things, but quite a series of things. And perhaps the first thing to encourage is recollection. Consciously thinking. Recollection, consciously thinking, 
and then beginning to linger, stay in, align one's experience much more fully to what we have sustained, what we have touched into through careful thinking. Aligning self to that, inquiring into it, then absorbing into it. Absorbing into that and then reviewing our experience from the light of what we may have revealed or may have been revealed. The recollection. So, there were several recollections, probably the uh, the one the Buddha certainly had in mind was just this recollection aging, sickness, death mm. not the most agreeable pleasant thing to think about on a Saturday warm Saturday afternoon and what could we eat an ice cream <laughs> but here we are <laughs> in a monastery <laughs> so this is the kind of stuff you get <laughs> and why is this bitter medicine because if we do bear that in mind and we linger through some of the feelings of oh well yeah but that's not going to happen oh well yeah so what yeah, well. no actually yeah, it could happen today <laughs> for any of us hmm true yep Okay, so what do you leave behind? Can you leave it behind? If today, if this is your last hour, what can you leave behind? Hmm. Since you have to leave a lot behind, almost everything behind, then what stays? This is the important point. If you leave behind, clear a lot of preoccupations with phenomena that are not necessarily bad or wrong or unnecessary, but for right now, since we're carving out some space, let's put it aside for a couple of hours. That's so important, because things by themselves don't naturally put themselves aside, they keep insisting. They keep barging in, don't they? So use quite, quite tough medicine. So look, you're on death row, you know. Just imagine, it's possible that you could die today. Isn't it? So, just bear that in mind. And in the light of that, you begin to... Okay, Forgive, be grateful, thank you, enough of that. Future, forget it, planning, no, no bother. What other people think of me, then, you know, what's important now. And we maybe start through that process to begin to, the mind which begins to orbit around and find what is really meaningful, deeply meaningful, deeply meaningful, so that 
in my last moments I could stay with that and yes this has been this has been important this has been meaningful hmm? the fact that mind can do this at all if we give it the right prompting is indication of something quite powerful you know this overwhelming world can can reduce to one or two points and then do that and those points that reduces to are really something quite beautiful quite deep quite embedded truth and truthfulness certain grandeur of heart, put aside what's unnecessary, forgive, mm-hmm. uh, remember your courage, the next moment is unknown, remember your courage, remember your faith, mm-hmm. doesn't mean belief in something but your willingness to be open to whatever arises. as we were when we were born we have to be and we get so kind of cluttered this has been a radical uh, pruning and the aim of this as many recollections is to return the mind to its own basis that is, our mind is normally conjoined with the possibles and the obligatories and the if-onlys and the what will be and what could be and what should and isn't it? These are really all wrappings. And they're like uh, clothing. And then reducing the mind to its bare foundation. I can be aware. Nothing can take that away. And uh, it's really important to to do this periodically so that you get a chance to reset what particular clothes you want to wear, if you like. What do I really get involved with? What do I want to give my attention to? What have I finished with? What's bright now? This itself is just powerful. Uh, resets and if you just do this ten minutes it's going to help keeping your life relevant to your values and strengths and bring the best out so a recollection of death brings around a certain pruning and also a certain immediacy a certain sense of this is not a time to drift and dawdle <laughs> second recollection returning the mind to its basis something the Buddha didn't have the advantage of which we do have we can recollect the Buddha he couldn't. He had to be it. 
So we've got a bonus. <laughs> you know? And of course, whatever that means, well, Buddha awakening. And if we deliberately, as many of you do in the chanting, bring to mind these qualities, Tathagata, transcendent one, impeccable in conduct, uh, wisdom and compassion, metta karuna, no, isn't these are not? They're not remote philosophical concepts, are they? There are virtues that we could at least, yeah, I know what that means, and fulfilled it. I know what that means: wisdom and compassion and impeccable conduct. And, and so, this is actually what the mind is like when it's pruned of delusion, of drifting, of daydreams, of grudges, of craving. This is what it's like. This isn't something we've added. This is something that remains when you've stripped away the rest of it and dwelt in it. This is the potential for mind. And said in the purification of citta, by purification of citta, one is known as Buddha. Purification of citta is Buddha, is awakening. So, citta means mind, but perhaps more, more meaningfully, it means that very sense of being. You know, when I say I am something, what I am is a matter of opinion, of course. But the quality of I, the essential subjective awareness, you know, and take away the ams, and you're left with this. That's innate, it's essential. This is returning the mind, the chipper to its basis. So if we recollect and we touch into some of these, this reference point, then we are in fact returning mind to the basis, the view, the perspective, our thoughts, what we think about, what we concern ourselves with. And uh, what is often uh, needed and strongly recommended because of the mind changes so swiftly, it's swifter than the wind, and it's shifting. To build something around that that will hold it in place. Not something to obscure it, something that just doesn't delude it or obscure it, or it just acts as a support to hold the mind in balance. And for this we use the body. Now of course, the body is a basic thing. Clearly our bodies all look rather different, shapes and textures and so forth. But what is the essence of the body that we all share? A certain quality of gravity, presence, it's here. 
gives you a sense of being here rather than just a dream. Yeah. And it's up, you can sit upright. The basis of the body was, was the Buddha's initial instruction in meditation is sitting with spine erect at the root of a tree. Okay, well, yeah, you can't always have to carry a tree around with you. <laughs> well, you've all got spines. So, for now anyway, you have used that, this sense of upright body and a sense of having an internal axis. Uh, so this is essentially, this is uh, using mindfulness of, of body internally. Not body externally, which is the body we see with our eyes, which is always something there. What do we think about, which is just an idea there. Uh, what we see around us, body's there. This is a body right here internally, which is the body sitting stable, its own foundation. And so this acts as a support, and then we just use the, t- the quality of that layer, untrammeled, uncluttered, uncomplicated awareness, just to keep bearing that in mind. And something relatively simple bear in mind, but it also has a powerful energy to it, because if you do cultivate this sitting upright position, it's the position where the energy of the body is is most vital without doing anything. Clearly if you're running around you've got a lot of energy, but this is an energy that's a vitality, and uh, the vitality of the body is most fully amplified or brought in when your body is upright. Like everything the body seems to be opened up. It's conventionally we often sit slightly hunched over looking what we're doing, lean back. Then it's not. The energy isn't. So this is energy that is arises or comes into fruition balance and poise. So there's nothing in the body that's leaning over one way or another, fidgeting, distracted, putting pressure, it's just held in balance. And this way you come into the simple one-pointedness of body and the simple one-pointedness of mind. You put these together and you keep practicing putting those together drawing the mind back to it, drawing attention back to it, you know, stilling it, cooling it, stabilizing it, and discarding what you don't need, what you don't need to know, what you don't need to think about, what you don't need to plan, the emotions that are bound up with experiences that are somewhere else, craving for something that isn't here, feeling resentful about something that is here, or not here, or there, just keep clearing through that, and your mind can come into equipoise. And this we call you know, alignment 
and in absorbing, taking the time to linger more fully in that. So that the, if you like, the flow of the mind begins to form and strengthen within that, within that crucible, within that matrix. It doesn't occur through just not thinking, through mind that doesn't think will tend to dull out. It doesn't occur through speculative thinking, it occurs through thinking that acts just like a thumbtack. Right there. Where? On that. There. How is that? Vitaka. Vichara. How is that? How is this? What's happening in your body now? Is it in line? What's up, what is upright? How is the mind brought to discard what is irrelevant? Remember aging, sickness, death. Remember values. Remember Buddha. Bring it to mind. Dwell in it. Let that act as a kind of natural reset for your attention mm. and the mind is then poised, ready, open to listen more deeply to what is most basic and fundamental unconditioned so let's take some time to um, cultivate this if you want to stretch your legs at all cultivation of mindfulness of body should be as if we are um, as we in fact we may well be rediscovering the body from the inside out not from the physical out appearance the internal uh, experience there's sense of occupying space, isn't it? Certain quality of solidity, which holds up the earth element. And how is that best accommodated? Plant yourself on the ground as if you're growing roots out of your legs or out of your feet, really planted, feeling your feet, your legs, your thighs, 
establishing your tail like the um, root of a tree and the spine steady your body around that basis mm-hmm. see what muscles you need, what you don't need So this is what purifies your energy because you only concern yourself with what's important at this time. So your energy is conserved. This conserving of energy is going to um, is the asset for what we call samadhi. Your energy is not spinning out. It's contained and it collects and it strengthens. And it starts to feel very agreeable. Itself. And it's take your time. It doesn't occur at the speed of thought. This is a body, it's a different system. Time for muscles to relax. Time for tissues to steady and open up. And coming into the basis of the spine, and lingering there, get a sense of things beginning to settle. If you feel strained, difficult, then you actually need to rearrange your legs or even a little bit. Relax your leg muscles, your thighs, strengthening your lower back. And uh, open the abdomen. So, as you come from the base, it's moving up. Focus on the back of the body as being the area that does the supportive strength. And you want to decrease energy or attention in the front, the face and down the front of the body. You don't really want a lot happening there. This is quite a reversal because of course most in our lives, our backs are irrelevant, it's our faces that get all the attention and so um, front of the body is where it's at. Meditation all the way around, back is where it's at. The rest of it softer, doesn't matter now. Using as if you've got like some plant like a tree gradually growing up. My spine, holding things level, steadying. So carrying the rib cage. Strengthening. Helping the chest to open up and the shoulders to relax. So you're not carrying weight in your shoulders. Draw your spine in slightly, 
so it becomes central to the experience of the body rather than something back there it becomes the center center of your experience of the body means the spine the strong and so then that allows front of the body to be quite light and open and undefended sensitive restful coming up your back your spine to neck and bringing this globe bone the skull so it sits on top of the neck rather than hangs forward or tilts forward so you're just drawing your face back almost as if you're lying on your back and it goes back face draws in skull resting on top of the spine more we can move towards that, begin to toggle and orient and find that. Take some time, your neck muscles can relax. That's big weight. Carry through some tension in the neck and this affects the mind. So if the head can must float on top of the spine like a all on a fountain of water, imagine something like that. You don't have to close your eyes at a particular point. When you start to shift these energies around, then you often feel dizzy or disoriented. It takes time for things to settle. But mostly we are kind of rejigging body that we've learned to live in a particular way probably for many many years mm. same body and yet not quite the same body not associated with sight appearance personality needing to be seen or not seen or just the sheer structure living and going through the process of circulating breathing you may detect within that experience of body so repetitive flow breathing coming out breathing coming in but the body is now doing its thing and circulating energy through breathing how wonderful not something we have to do 
and the body does. And we can admire the smoothness of that as we enter this place. But wait, wait till the body comes into this proper balance and don't make breathing into something that you start to approach as you've got to get this going, got to make it right. This is the worldly mind intruding. Body knows exactly how to breathe, been doing it for years. If you relax attention in your jaw, in your mouth, your forehead, your eyes, this quality of restfulness of being alert enables the breathing to settle into an uncontrived, involuntary flow. Linger. most important to linger in that doorway so if we're waiting till the body really feels stable and then what does it how does it breathe how is breathing then don't get too detailed yet and how do you really position what kind of attitude can receive that without getting tight and tense about it, without making it into a project of some kind. It's a wonderful state, viveka, non-involvement, non-fiddling, non-engagement, don't interfere, be present. Don't interfere. Let it find itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Be <coughs> the grandmother to your own breathing. You step back. Scurries around. And you, step, you stay step back. And that quality of Restful alertness, care, no intrusion, breathing is operating through your nervous system. That's what's doing it. Your nervous system is getting this message steadily implanted. Step back, be alert, don't interfere. Nervous energy changes, your breathing changes. Not getting fussy, fiddling, tweaking, trying to make it do something other. Nervous system tightens up, breathing tightens up. 
this is quite a crucial point and it's a learning point in which we get it wrong maybe five times, nine times out of ten and then hey, that's what happens when you stop doing that Linger, savor, take your time. Discard what you don't need. Discard what you don't need, what you do need, make good use of it. You need to keep thinking, reminding yourself, then do so. Keep helpful to keep tracking sensation in your body, do so. So, but the aim is to come into this bodily balance. where the body will eventually begin to find its own stasis, its own basis and as it settles within that breathing becomes involuntary, smooth and satisfying. involvement, degree of involvement is necessary, then do that. But the involvement is not goal-oriented, it should be just to participate. So we might say, just imagine as you breathe out, this perhaps is your last breath you'll ever take. It doesn't change the breath, it changes your mental approach to that. So if you just, oh, 
really finished. As if you're kind of leaning your awareness on your breathing as it goes all the way out, completely out, even further out, even further out. So it's coming out through your skin and then weight. So you're in breath, if there is one, <laughs> take it for granted, but if there is one, this is like your first breath, coming up for air, savour it, coming out of the smoky room, clean air, taking it in, enjoying, savouring, feeling, beauty of breathing. Cultivate like this, it's uh, attitudinal. into balance, we can use the body to train the mind. To be fully attentive, deeply receptive, connected.
and training the mind to be mindful. Mindfulness is a particular kind of tension holds the space, doesn't grab. Tension between mindfulness and clinging. Clinging is always trying to make something happen, hold on to the good bits, get past the rough stuff. By doing so, clinging creates the rough stuff in its effect, nervous effect, tense, grasping, patchy, mindful, smooth, steady, things flow through. Takes quite a lot of training to release that clinging. Clinging always get into this and make something happen. What happens is you begin to get agitated. <laughs> That's what happens. You start to tense up. Clinging, I'm going to protect myself against this happening. What happens is you get defensive. And that closes you down. Mindfulness, just stay present. Allow process to occur. Stay with it. Stay very much with it. As process. Not mind, not self, not something to hoard, acquire. Something to allow to flow through. And the beauty with this is, ironically, great reward. We don't seek it, we get it. Great roar, calm, dispassion. Mind clarifies, comes exceptionally light. You keep placing your mindfulness where it can be supported by simplicity of the body, involuntary quality of breathing in and out, so there's a lot of repose in that. So all your energy now goes into just attending carefully. suggest we take this um, through into standing, standing position, um, without breaking our attentiveness, naturally things shift around a bit, feelings come and go, 
and take your time to find good balance. It's just where meditation really takes balance itself. Balance itself becomes the principal theme. Bodily balance. We'll cultivate this for about 10 minutes or so. very similar, you want to find most of all that uh, upright quality, the axis of the body, the spinal axis, and flex your legs a little, make some make sure they're plenty alive, and feeling your way down into the ground through the soles of your feet. Your feet spread into the ground rather like the roots of trees. Not just perch there, embedded. Let your knees soften a little, so that you're really not just sticking perched on top, but almost relaxing slightly the weight of your body into the ground. So. Um, and this is seeming very ordinary, it's actually a subtle change because a lot of the time when we stand we hold ourselves with our shoulders or hold yourself in your belly, in your chest Actually, they're kind of irrelevant, really. It's your legs that do it. And your feet. So, the more we can loosen up what we don't need, the body comes into a more restful kind of balance, switching off muscles that you don't need. It allows energy to circulate more thoroughly. And if you're all knotted up, tightened up, and if you circulate more regularly and smoothly, it's going to calm down. That's what it does. It seeks that restful state. And so often our nervous tension or muscular tension actually impedes this quality of repose which is one of the features of cultivation this is a new soft little relax in your belly as if you're riding something and 
let your arms come slightly away from the sides of your body just a little so you're not pinning the chest, your chest can open fully open for a few minutes at least so you're dizzy disoriented so your things steady become steady mind might start getting agitated about what to do then to slowly track sensations the soles of your feet slowly ankles, calves, thighs slowly working up see if you're informing yourself of what this body experience has in itself bonuses for standing probably can be give your back a rest that's yeah. pain in that sense more subtly also when we stand the body has to start balancing itself and you fall over in balancing what, to, what your body awareness does it's the sense of and this is this big earthy bit called my body is that connected to the ground it has to extend beyond the body into the ground so looking at how is it connected to the ground? It's it does, otherwise we are not stable.
then following on from that, the body also recognises nothing's leaning on me, there's space behind me. And the space around me, nobody's shoving me around, nobody's intruding on me. We begin to experience the space element and open into that, enjoy it. Space in front of my chest, in front of my face, throat. Nobody's bothering me. Nobody cares what I look like. Free space. And this has got a certain brightening uh, effect by itself. Standing is standing balanced in your own space. affects your breathing and your mental balance. tune to feeling, subtle qualities of feeling, rather than thinking.
uh, working within what I can estimate you know, capacities are, maybe underestimating it or overestimating it. <laughs> could be time for walking. And we could um, also respect time minutes in the afternoon. We do about 20 minutes walking. And I'd like to suggest you also reset walking. Walking, as we all know, is normally about going places. You never walk anywhere without going somewhere. On this particular occasion, we say where we go to doesn't really matter. It's how we get there. We're meditating. When we get there, then I suppose a reasonable image to, to bear in mind is you're just carrying a stack of dishes on top of your head. So it's very much just here, and important things are stay balanced. Okay. Make sure that I'm not tilting over or rushing forward to drop those dishes. And you say, like, you know, how does a body do walking anyway? Weight changes from one leg to another, body swings, moves, establishes new position, always remains in poise if we're not tilting forward. Mm-hmm. Always remains in poise. So anywhere you can stop, put your foot down and balance, you're not leaning forward, you're not tilted to one side. So this one suggests is a useful way to walk, very important. It's restful, it also very radically undoes this compulsive mental attitude of getting somewhere. Which first of all seems to be spatial, then becomes psychological. And this, the Buddha said, this is a big enemy called becoming. And this is what keeps us stuck in birth and death. And always some going away from where we are to something we imagine. We've got to start really dismantling that. We can do that in a very simple way walking. No psychological goal, no physical arrival point, just feeling walking. So I'm going to take some time, I'll give you about 20 minutes or so, and explore walking. Then you can walk simply backwards and forwards, find a track, so you know. Mm-hmm. Or you can just walk, walk, just walk, you know, don't go too far, because we're going to ring a bell in about 20 minutes to direct you back, so we we'll to get back before nightfall, don't go too far.
I'd like to invite to ask if have any questions that you feel are relevant to your practice now as you see it. Yeah. Your question is mostly about impermanence, not really about the tyrant itself. No? fairly secure so that's the security that we call normal security is being in jail Uh, so uh, getting out of jail is kind of 
confusing, disorienting. Um, so, because particularly if the jail is quite nicely decorated and well furnished. <coughs> so yeah, impermanence and each the three go together, Nietzsche, Dukkanata, and just to tease out, Nietzsche means also relative. Impermanence is a rather strange, it's a rather peculiar word. It's not a common word, really. It's about changeability, inconstant, uncertain. Things are sort of flowing, flooding. You can't exactly predict what they will be. Yeah, they're also contingent. Dukkha. They don't arrive at a place of satisfaction. They don't arrive at a place of, oh, that's exactly right. Oh, you don't land there. Yeah. And Atar really is a very mm, condensed word, uh, term, that refers to particular drives, psychological drives, control. I can make things happen, I can stop things happening. No, you can't. Uh, I can own something. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah. I am completely independent. No, you're not. Yeah. So, uh, but of course, one of the problems is that when you, when you call your daily life, you're very much in a particular stream which is confirming constantly there is a security, just pay more insurance. <laughs> yeah. There is control, just get more police. There is satisfaction, just have another one of these, you'll get there. So that's the continual, that's the, that's the pond that we live in, people live in, and you start to get shaped by, the, shaped by those currents. So most of one's personality, one's personal mind and heart inclinations are shaped by those deeply embedded patterns and currents, not just in oneself, but in the mainstream. And uh, it takes quite a bit of shifting, because naturally to shift it require, is pretty disorienting particularly shifting out of what seems like security, even though it is really a prison sentence. Uh, to enter into insecurity is perhaps the most difficult thing for a human being to do. That's vulnerable, threatened, don't know. Uh, so it's pretty difficult. And Clearly we can see where yeah, trees come and go and change, cars move along, that's changing. But this here, this one, is surely, that's a heart conviction, I am solid. Uh, and I can do things, make things happen. Um, by and large, I would say that uh, for most people, mm, you can't really under, un dismantle that until you get into some fairly deep meditation where actually the landscape changes. Uh, you know, impermanence becomes rather pleasant. It's more like to do with subtle floods and changes and flows. You're swimming. Uh, you're in a different, different domain. 
um, many, in fact, the very quality of controlling and owning and messes it up. It's much easier just to release into it. So this is the sense of you know, absorption, deep meditation can take you into a different dimension whereby that becomes much easier to shift to, much easier. And you're finding that as long as you, as long as the mind reaches forward to get something, it becomes unsatisfied. It's much more satisfactory just to sit back, which is a very benevolent stream. And this is why the Buddha said there are two main, main streams to cultivate, which are of a different nature from the stream of the sense realm. And one of them is absorption, and the other is the domains of loving-kindness, compassion, goodwill, and so forth. Uh, and you know, so when we dwell in those, uh, it's a shift of territory. If you really dwell in those, you can experience good and loving kindness to people who aren't here, uh, who have passed away, to subtle qualities, to energies in your own body, experience compassion for your own struggles, for the welfare of others in different places. Suddenly the sense realm doesn't, the geography changes. You're in the domain of heart. And uh, again, in this different domain, you know, the changeability of things is much easier to be with. Because you're not having to orient yourself as someone separate from it who makes it work, or makes it this, or makes it anything. Which is the problem of orienting in this level of reality, this worldly level, is there's a huge amount of things that are saying, you know, um, make, make, keep this steady, keep it stable, make sure this is going to work okay, prepare yourself for the future, winter's coming, uh, da, 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 you know, all this stuff. It puts you into a, into a situation where change is accompanied by sort of degrees of threat, really. Yeah. Uh, and then it's very difficult for your just your reflexes. No one likes threat. <laughs> you, know, you must. So we look for holding on. Uh, this sensory world is by no means the best place to live. <laughs> It's a world of constant separation. We're constantly separated. You know, we just see bodies, but we know we're separate. It's a, it's a, the sensory world is marked with a sense of separation and change and, and changes loss. You know, or things happening that I didn't have covered. That's the nature of sensory reality. And because we've so often our lives have often been oriented in that way, that's what we keep imagining as the real world. Because that's the one where the level we dwell upon. And if you dwell in another domain more constantly, yeah, then your system starts to adapt to this. And our change in this realm is much more uh, there's not a sense of separation because it's uh, it's a uh, a domain of mind, you know, rather than sense, sense, world. 
So we swim within it. We're never separated from it. You know, changes come and go, but what remains constantly is the sense of fundamental awareness. Now, if that message can be really learnt, not just intellectually, but emotionally and psychologically, in meditation, the more that can well, it can be sort of like programmed, if you like, or embedded, then as you come to this, then yes, sure, it's still tricky, but you can find, I can be the awareness, that sense of the ending of that, even the sadness of the ending of that, and I remain aware. Even the feeling of nervous anxiety, and I remain aware. Even if it sense I don't know what to do, I remain aware of that. Therefore I remain in awareness. And other things, I do change. I'm not always in control. I don't know what to do all the time. Uh, I am separated from things I rather enjoyed. I do meet stuff that I don't want, but I remain in awareness. This is my only refuge. This is the only refuge. As the Buddha said, there is no other refuge apart from this. The rest of it, it's just crumbling. And, uh, you know, it's the shift is required because, you know, all of our houses are falling down. Do you want to wait till the roof lands on your head before you get out? <laughs> you know, take your refuge and awareness. And so meditation... As you practice, you begin to recognize there are good ones, bad ones, difficult days, problems, issues. But I remain in awareness. And that must be the thing that you just begin to experience more fully. And awareness is not just, the, not just me thinking about something, but I'm sensitive, I'm open. I do receive difficult emotions. I do experience a sense of sadness and uncertainty. Yeah. But... These two, I can open to, I can allow to pass through me. The feeling of uncertainty also itself changes. You know, this is a place where I feel there is some possibility of arriving at stability. There isn't anywhere else. That's the kind of message we have to learn. You know? And, uh, you know, those are, the, those are the standard method, means of doing it. Even, even if the unwillingness to experience uncertainty, that also will change. Because uncertainty also means the miraculous can occur. Yeah. A thing can drop out of the blue. A gift can arrive through the door. <laughs> you know? We're all just closed and holding on in jail. Nothing, nothing happens outside of our program. That's a, that's a real jail sentence because it's not even a very good program. <laughs> yeah. Nothing works. Everything breaks down. Not the most. Uh, fortunate thing to recollect, but if you recognize it, things are unsatisfactory, everything breaks down, nothing works. Works for a while and it gives up. Yeah. The sooner we get to understand that, the more we 
the more the mind will begin to adapt to that, the less we'll pin our hopes on it. Getting used to it is a difficult bit. <laughs> it takes like an emotional seasoning, you could say, where you've got to keep coming back to that truth and presenting it time and time again, but also with a quality of, you know, this is this may sting, but it is essentially a restorative medicine to get you back into balance, to take you to the secure place. sad and frightened. You feel sad and frightened. That's how you deal with it. <laughs> and you just let it move through. You know, there is that. The mind can do that if we're not adopting some image that I should be this or that or the other then. And that, that's what takes us out of the personal realm. Is that the is that using kindness and compassion with yourself in in that situation? That can take that can clear the way to that. Awareness is the fundamental property of uh, of mind. Chitta. So. Can you talk a little bit about kindness, bringing in kindness and compassion for ourselves? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's to take our unkindness and uh, harshness, judgmental. What's left is kindness when you remove unkindness and callousness and indifference and punishment and perfectionism. You know, unkindness operates in many ways. There's direct punishment. There's also that setting up of goals is impossible to achieve. You know, standards that you should be, that you can't really make. You can't expect to achieve. Um, so that's, there's unkindness. You know, uh, constant fault finding. As if you're measuring yourself against a model that doesn't exist. You know, and most of us carry around models, these shadows, these ghosts, what we should be or could be, or what we think people think we are, what we think we ought to be, and what this other person is. We carry on these ghosts that don't exist, and we measure ourselves against them. <laughs> and so that's extreme. That's a basis for unkindness because you you can never win. And so, uh, you know, there are several ways in which one can uh, cultivate it, but prime, 
I suppose primarily it's a big important shift is to move from the cognitive faculty to the emotive faculty move from conceiving yourself into fully feeling yourself move into describing yourself into sensing yourself as you occur as you arise yeah we cognize ourselves as I am so and so so and so I'm this old I live here I do this what is that you sense yourself as just heat and warmth and movement and emotions and energies and pressures and urges and aspirations and dhammas. Right? Where's who's it who's that? With certain familiar patterns. And so to sense yourself, to feel yourself without being hypnotized by it, you have to learn to relate to yourself, right? to relate to the direct experience of yourself. Okay? You with me? As soon as you start to even ask the question, how do I relate already, that's the doorway to kindness. Because essentially unkindness is a lack of relationship. It means it's a projection, it's a reaction, it's a judgment, it's not a relationship. You relate to something that's actually there, that already is a heart opening to that. How is it? I'm interested. How is she? Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That already has a quality of heart energy in it. And it could be, oh, wow, that's painful. Oh, oh. Stay with that, there's compassion. How's this, how's this fit? Um, how's this coming to harm you? How's it going to feel more comfortable? That's kindness. And <coughs> beauty in that. That's appreciative joy. And this goes up and down a lot, doesn't it? That's equanimity. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, it's quite indicative that there's hardly any method described for kindness. Uh, it says, be able, upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Those are not some kind of emotional, sentimental things. They're just like set yourself up straight, come yeah. to balance, and in just a sense, may I be well. Now, why can't I do that? Because I've already decided what I should be and what I don't want to be, and I don't like this, and this isn't as good as it used to be, or I'm not contented and easily satisfied. <laughs> we're not relating, we're already creating a, a person who isn't there. Is that bad? And haven't even started what is here. I haven't really started what is here, how it is, how you work with it, how you cooperate with it, how you help to nourish the hungry bits, how you help to soothe the hurt how you learn to give appreciation to the lively pieces. 
as soon as one touches this process through the heart base, this is pretty much natural. Because that's the quality of heart. Heart, where cognitive faculty knows how to define differences between things, heart faculty knows how to embrace things as how it all works together. That's its job. That's its job. That's its function. It's to just, you know, it's all this work. It's a relationship thing. Now, you could probably do it with a dog, but you can't do it with <laughs> Because we think ourselves. And we think ourselves in comparison with something that isn't yeah, once you get a cognitive thing, if you say 9, I can say 10. If you say 10, I can say 11. That's very easy. If you say good, I say very good. <laughs> I say better. You know, it's so easy. You just keep raising the bar. It's just a matter of words. But, but so that's what we're dealing with. In, in this you know, particular culture, of course, there's a huge amount of performance is expected from day one. To be bright, to be polite, to be tired, to be neat, and clean, happy, punctual, you name it. Bright, intelligent, beautiful, fast, quick. All there. All cognitive stuff being loaded into your mind. So you end up, you don't need anybody else to tell you what to do, because you can do it now all the time. You are now completely vaccinated with this disease. <laughs> Performance and self-conscious. I'm different from everybody else or something wrong with me. That's, 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 that's the thing that people get inducted into. And it makes us really fragile. Our quality is that is where the real strength lies. Yeah. A true heart, not just, uh, you know, uh, I give you love as long as you're happy, <laughs> as long as you're beautiful. No, no, I, I, I naturally embrace because that's what the heart faculty does. It doesn't put any qualifications on it. Yeah. Now, you know, with other people, it's easy to see the faults, probably, the things we dislike, or what she did wrong, or what she, you know, how he never did this for me. Yeah, you can do that. And again, those are very much like cognitive qualities. You take a particular event, take it out of context, and you know, I say, that's her, she's, she's that's who she is. You'll be in the flow, you know. She gets up, she goes to bed, she washes her face, she does this and that. Most of it is just, okay. But then the way she did that really drives me nuts. But that was like, you know, like 1%. <laughs> and then when she's asleep, she's fine. When she's sick, I feel a bit sorry for her. You know? But when she does that, she drives me nuts. She's this way. <laughs> well, what have you done? You know? Concrete faculty has seized the particular item to complain about it. It's not that it isn't there, but could you see in perspective 
And who knows why she's like that? Who knows what she's doing? Yeah? Just, just pause on the judgment, really. And instead of describing her, describe what you feel when she does that. Yeah? You feel distaste or irritation or mm -hmm, work with that. Yeah? I mean, this is not beautiful. This is, not, this, is not, this is unnecessary. I don't need to do this. Clean that. And then what's left is something more heartful. Mm. These are ways in which we train ourselves, you know? and it's important. I think there's the uh, famous analogy that the uh, Arahant Sariputta says, well, it's like, you know, if you go along a, you walk along a road and you see there's a pond of water, a lot of it's overgrown with weeds. Still, you see there's a little bit of clear water in there and you scoop that. This is like somebody who's got a few faults. You still find the good bit and drink that. You want to drink the rubbishy water. And you go to another place, it's like it's almost completely smothered with algae. Still you see there's enough there to get one handful out. Still you go for that. And so then you come to a place where it's just a cow's footprint in the mud. And there's enough water in that cow's footprint to just get one fingerful. Then you take that. So this is the way you should dwell on the good points of other people. <laughs> <laughs> because, because you feel a lot better <laughs> so this is kind of like really earthy stuff isn't it and some people are definitely a challenge it's definitely where you can't really part the weeds on that one <laughs> They say, well, they didn't kill anybody. Well, I guess that's good. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want this heart to be constantly sour and realise, well, I can't change him right now. If I can, I don't have to get infected with it. And that, that's again very pragmatic. Thank you. Mayang over the Tamagataya, Sadu Karang, the Damasi, Sadu, 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 Anumogami. Okay, so thank you for your attention and. Uh, Hope something's been useful. You, know, you can't do this stuff too. You, know, you can't overdo the amount of time you do it, spend doing this stuff, because it's you know everything in the world is going the other way, by and large. <laughs> so whenever you can carve out space, like we did today, in 20 minutes, carve. <laughs> Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. You know. It's always going to be other things you need to do, other things people want you to do. This is the bit that, you know, nobody wants you to do when you do it. <laughs> That's what we've got born for, really. The rest of it is just, you know, very good circus. <laughs> so, 
hope you find something useful to take with you today and uh, more will be next week I'm sure Thank you.